Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video. As seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. So, hi everyone and welcome back to the Video Insiders. I'm Dror Gill and with me, my co-host, Mark Donegan. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great, Dror. It's an amazing day to be recording uh, this podcast again. And, uh, you know, we've got some big news. Maybe we should tell everyone. Right. We got some big news about uh, the ranking of the podcast. It turns out that uh, the Video Insiders, the podcast about video and video technology and delivery, isn't as niche as uh, we expected. A lot of people are actually listening to the podcast, uh, in particular on the app platform, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, we are now 129 on the iTunes ranking for the technology um, category, I guess, section. And uh, it's quite an accomplishment. And, you know, first of all, we want to thank you, the listener, for supporting the show, because obviously, if you weren't listening, uh, then, well, we would be down there at the bottom of the chart. We'd be right? down at if the bottom. We'd be bringing up the rear, as they say. But uh, yeah, this is this is really great. You know, it, it shows that there is a lot of interest in the subject and, um, you know, our, our guests have, uh, you know, contributed a lot to the conversation. I mean, our last episode on the HDR um, workflow from the Super Bowl is really uh, doing well. A lot of people are listening to it. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're commenting, they're responding. So, right, right. And today uh, we are going to talk about uh, interactivity and interactive uh, videos and everything uh, related to that. And with us, is uh, Tal Zubalski, who is co-founder and CPO of uh, Echo. Hi, Tal, and welcome to the Video Insiders. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you for having me. Congrats on climbing the ranks. Super excited to be here. Tal, why don't you tell us, uh, you know, tell us your story. You know, how did the company come to exist? Um, sure. So uh, I come from kind of a creative background. I My official training, I studied animation uh, in Tel Aviv. Um, and played to, played in many bands in Tel Aviv, uh, kind of in, you know, like between 2000, 2010, that, that area. Um, and one of the bands I played in is actually, uh, a pretty famous singer in Israel. It's called Yoni Bloch. Um, yeah. So I think kind of, uh, while I was, uh, in school, uh, I kind of got into this whole world of, uh, you know, of startups and, and product and user experience. Uh, I started a small kind of uh, web application development shop with two of my high school friends. And that was uh, awesome. And in parallel, I'm, you know, like doing shows and studying animation and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, with the Honest Band, we, we were always this like, you know, kind of, uh, first of all, we were a very geeky band. <laughs> uh, we were a rock and roll band, but you know, it was like, we like to say it's like a uh, lines of code and not uh, lines of coke. Anyway, so we were always kind of, you know, and, uh, and Yoni is very kind of tech savvy, always kind of looking for how we can use technology to uh, to get the word out there and get uh, audiences engaged more and stuff like that. Um, so we had this idea for just a music video for the band. <clears throat> and um, we had a, a good uh, idea of what the user experience, experience is going to be. 
um, it, because it's a music video, it was clear that it has to be like super, super seamless. And uh, we wanted to make it interactive to have, uh, have viewers uh, just choose some stuff, like choose the, the type of solo they're going to get or um, all kinds of things in the song. Um, so it was clear because it's a song and a music video that when you'll be presented a choice, if you don't make a choice, the song won't stop. It'll make a choice for you and continue. And when you do make a choice and it kind of branches out, uh, it has to be super, super seamless. It can't go into buffering or have the audio click because that'll kind of ruin the song experience. Um, so all of these kind of, you know, kind of UX principles were pretty clear uh, at the get-go before we even shot a single frame or wrote a single line of code. And we actually didn't think we we're going to need to write a single line of code. I was pretty sure we we're just going to find uh, find you know a tool to actually implement it with. When we started kind of looking into it, we saw that there is actually no tool, and um, we took this as an opportunity um, to kind of start to hack hack it together ourselves. I was kind of you know uh, knew a little bit of action script back in the day, um, so we kind of hacked together something uh, pretty quickly, um, and that's kind of the you know, the origin story, let's call it. And uh, this is really an amazing story. I mean, you, you, you had the band, you were a Yoni Bloch's band and you wanted to make uh, an interactive music video for you, for your band, and you couldn't find a tool. So uh, eventually you ended up uh, creating a company that would produce such tools. So actually the core team of, of, uh, of the company were uh, members of the band. How many members? Um, yeah, so Yoni um, is, you know, the singer in the band. He's the CEO of the company. Uh, I'm uh, one of the co-founders. Um, I kind of headed product since the beginning. Third co-founder is... Uh, and, and you play bass, uh, right? I kind of switched between bass and guitar, depending on uh, if our bass player was in Israel or moved to Berlin or <laughs> like all kinds of these <laughs> type of things. We were playing musical chairs. Um, third co-founder is Barack Feldman, um, who uh, was an electrical engineer, but in the band he's kind of more uh, behind the scenes. He writes the lyrics to most of Yoni's songs. They know each other for many, many years. Uh, he's an amazing poet. Amazing lyrics, I, uh, must, I must say. Yeah, he's, he's writing, very unique writing amazing books. He has an amazing channel uh, on Facebook, Instagram. He's just like, he's a genius with words. Um, and he's also a genius with uh, making, uh, like actually building a company. Because, <laughs> um, you know, he was more on the operational side, actually making things happen. Because, um, you know, he's a little bit, uh, a little bit, older and more experienced than uh, Yoni and me. So we were kind of running and making a mess and <laughs> he would uh, actually make sure things work and, and grow and scale and, you know, uh, raising money. Uh, he was very, very kind of in the weeds of uh, all of these processes and due diligence and, and contracts and all of that mess. So, so that's very interesting because many times we compare a startup to a band, you know, Especially in the beginning, you have people, they have to work together. Sometimes they even, you know, switch roles. They have to be synchronized. They have to work in harmony and all of that. But uh, in your case, the band is the company. The band became the, the company. That's, that's the, so The band cool. became the startup. Did this shape the company in, in any special way? Did you feel that the fact that you guys were playing together and now you started a, 
company? Was there anything, uh, you know, unique about this transition? I think it, you know, it felt very organic, uh, very fast. Uh, after we decided to do this, uh, Tomer Love, who's uh, the guitar player, um, joined. And until today, he's uh, one of our lead developers. Um, he's just uh, a genius. Uh, and Alon Benari, uh, who directed many of our music videos, joined as our uh, chief creative. Um, so yeah, like it, it happened very, very organically. And I think um, it didn't feel forced in any way. I think there are a lot of things, you know, coming from that background that, that really contributed to, to building the company. And I think most of it, most of all, like building a culture, because there's something about a band, you know, like you said, it's like, a band is a mess, right? It's a very, very creative endeavor um, that really relies on the dynamic between people to work. Uh, and, you know, I think like bands that that survive decades, it's like a miracle that, you know, bands like, you know, Rolling Stones and stuff, you just don't understand how these bands still exist. Um, so there are many, like, you know, uh, not a lot of occurrences of that. Um, and it only works when, you know, when the people just like click and can work together and can be creative together and produce things together uh, in like pretty hard conditions, right? Like uh, recording an album, for example, you know, it's uh, it's super stressful. You have like limited hours in the studio. Every second costs a lot of money. You need to like be creative on, on cue. And, and it's like a pretty weird scenario. Um, so I think like being through these things together uh, in a band setting really like contributed to, uh, kind of what company we were building and, you know, what people we were hiring that share this kind of, uh, this kind of mindset and, and stuff like that. First two, three years, like everything was kind of, uh, rolling very, very organically. We weren't like, you know, writing a business plan and uh, decided we're going to go out to raise funding in like this and that month. We were kind of bootstrapping and, uh, started to try to like, basically, um, get some clients, you know, make some videos for paying customers. Uh, Yoni at the time was, uh, <clears throat> um, Yoni at the time was a judge in the Israeli version of American Idol. Um, so in American Idol and like, uh, in the Israeli version, you have like 16 singers singing the same audition song. Um, so we went, we went to them with a pitch, like, you don't even need to shoot anything special. Just like give us the footage you anyway shoot. Uh, and we're going to make it into like this interactive experience where you can choose which singer sings uh, which part and you're going to get uh, awesome insights about what audience choose and stuff like that. Um, and we, you know, we sold them on the idea actually before we had the product in that case. Um, and kind of one thing led to another. We kind of bootstrapped uh, our way to kind of start to build the actual product, at least the early stage of early stages of that product. We didn't have like this, like... Uh, the business aspect of being entrepreneurs in our, in our blood and in our thinking. Uh, but you know, Yoni is like a very, has this amazing growth mindset and, uh, always kind of ad adapts to, to what needs to happen for, for us to take it to the next level. And he was meeting with a lot of people and, uh, people told him, you know, it's nice. You're bootstrapping, you're growing slowly, like you're slowly building your product, but you know, you, you want the trajectory to happen much faster. And for that to happen, you need to raise money. Um, so we said, okay, that makes sense and started to take some meetings with, uh, with VCs and, uh, building the story and, uh, and, you know, kind of trying to put our vision into deck formats and presentation formats, mm -hmm. uh, 
And, and that worked pretty well. Um, that led us to the first round from uh, Sequoia, which really, I think, kind of marks us uh, transitioning from uh, like a very, a very extensive hobby to really like starting to build a company and hiring people and uh, building products and stuff like that. Yeah, you certainly jumped in uh, to the uh, uh, deep end of the pool with Sequoia. That's uh, quite an accomplishment. Wow, congratulations. And uh, also, you know, I understand that um, I know that Echo is not the original name of the company. So tell us about that. We started as Interlude, um, and for many years, uh, that was our name. I think like maybe to explain the, the change in our name and changing our brand, maybe I kind of should explain some of the strategy uh, shifts that we made at the time. I think that kind of uh, you know, the, represents uh, why, why the name changed, um, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think for the many of the first years of our existence, um, we understood we have something in our hands. We're like kind of unintentionally almost like inventing this new medium, uh, you know, a way to tell a story with, with video online in a much more interactive way. This can go in many, many different directions. And we didn't know exactly which direction we want to take it into. Um, and, you know, a lot of consultants told us like, you need to really, really focus and just find one vertical and kind of go go deep into that. And when you conquer that, like expand from there. Uh, but something about, I think kind of our creative DNA told us like that we can't do that. Like if, if we, if this is a new medium, we want to, to prove first of all to ourselves and later on also to, you know, to investors and to clients that this is actually a new medium that has many, many, many applications. So in the first few years, we kind of did like everything like uh, closed every deal and every project from every genre and vertical uh, from, you know, music videos, which is where we came from to branded content, which is what paid the bills to like education and documentaries and kids content. And like, uh, like you name it, like we just did everything to, to really prove that, that everywhere that video is being shot, it can be enhanced uh, by making it choice driven and interactive and, uh, and, Inherently, part of our product is, you know, is the data that shows how effective this medium is, um, because you know people are actually actively engaging with content, um, and and you know that, unlike you know regular video, which the data you get is uh, much more kind of high level, you know, clicking pause and resume and full screen and volume, but you don't know how engaged they are in the content. Um, so. Uh, after these years of kind of doing that, uh, and in parallel starting to build a platform um, that enables creators to just, you know, make these things themselves, because in the early years we didn't have the platform yet, um, we we felt that, you know, we've definitely proven it, uh, both kind of the financial uh, validity of this thing uh, and the fact that it is actually creatively and awesomely performing uh, medium. Um, but we decided that from a business perspective, yes, now it's time to focus. Um, and, and at that point in time, we, I think I would probably categorize it as kind of the only, even that is borderline a pivot because still like our, our vision, our mission has remained exactly the same. Um, but we've decided that, okay, now we're going to focus on one vertical. Uh, there are many, many opportunities and that's great, but we're still small and we have to focus uh, and at that point, we decided um, 
we're going to focus on uh, what we call choice-driven entertainment, which is basically premium, uh, premium content, you know, high production value, fully interactive, fully choice-driven. Um, and that kind of also dictated some of the business model because people don't really know that medium uh, yet, right? Like uh, if we take even podcasts, for example, like podcast was a new medium that was born out of like technological uh, capabilities and distribution capabilities that digital, uh, the digital platforms kind of enabled. Um, and at the beginning, it was like this uh, exper- experimental thing that uh, with time started to catch on uh, with actual consumers and, and became what it is today. We felt that, you know, we were, we need that to happen for interactive video. And the way for us to achieve that uh, was to create premium content versus user-generated content, um, even though that was a possibility as well, um, because we wanted to, like, show people what it can be when it's, like, in its best form. Um, and again, that dictated the business model. It has to be free uh, because, you know, why would anyone uh, subscribe or pay to something they don't yet know they should care about? Um, so that whole change in us starting to focus on premium, uh, premium content also and also becoming much more consumer uh, facing versus kind of a, a brand facing or creator facing which was uh, uh, the previous focus also symbolizes uh, the change in name and the change in, in our brand uh, we felt that you know interlude was a good name for something that's more of this technological platform and echo um, is a is a better name and brand as this consumer-facing thing. So what, what was the problem or the issue with um, interactive ads? That uh, market was not uh, big enough or was not profitable enough? No, it's, it's definitely big and, and profitable enough, and that's the business model today. Basically, our content is free. Uh, there's no paywall, no login. You can just, I, I can send you a link and you can just watch it. Uh, no subscription. Um, and you know, what pays the bills at the end of the day is ads and brand integration. We have, uh, we have our own perception to how brands are integrated into echo. We don't, we don't simply run like, you know, ad servers to like slap on pre-rolls and mid-rolls, uh, in our content. We don't believe that's, uh, that's good digital advertising. Um, so we have our own ad units, uh, but it is totally, you know, interactive advertising. That's part of uh, the business model behind it. So in the early days, you were creating interactive ads for brands um, as, as your main um, um, and the main piece of content that was created with your technology. But now you're creating actually the entertainment content and the interactive ads are kind of weaved inside, right? Yeah, exactly. I think in the early days, most, I would categorize most of what we did as more kind of branded content interactive uh, pieces versus ads. I see. So what, now that you have uh, both the interactive content and the interactive uh, branded content that is integrated uh, together, um, uh, when you go to your customers, um, and you want to show the, the metrics, the metrics of, of clicks, of engagements, of viewing. Um, are there any particular um, uh, figures that, that you can quote when you go and tell them why this is a better way of making content and a better place for um, 
for exposing the brand. Okay, I'm not going to say advertising because it's it's more uh, wide than that. Um, it's a better place for exposing the brand than those uh, regular ads. I'll give as an example uh, one of the shows we launched last year. It was called uh, it is called Close Call. Uh, was starring Nina Garcia uh, from Project Runway. Um, so in in that specific uh, specific show. It was kind of, you You get a budget, it's like $300, uh, and then you need to kind of uh, accessorize and, and dress up um, a model uh, with a few choices that you make. If you're like uh, spending, you know, $40 on these boots or $15 on these shoes, and then you kind of go on and start to, to make choices on how you use your budget wisely to create a look. It was always around like a specific theme, like you're going out at night, you're going to uh, to a reunion or whatever. Um, and at the end, Nina Garcia kind of, uh, uh, first of all, sees if you did it on, on budget or not, and then kind of critiques the look that you created. In course of like a minute and a half or a two minute experience, you get like, I don't know, seven, eight choices. So the users are really kind of engaging and the whole show kind of onboards them to the concept of interactivity and choice. Uh, and... When you get to the end of, a, like, a, again, a one and a half, one and a half or a two-minute episode, um, then you get a brand message. And the brand message is in a similar interactive format uh, to the show itself. It's two products from a specific brand, uh, and you can choose which one you like more. Um, so you can just imagine that, you know, after, after kind of being trained and onboarded to make these choices uh, that are really, like, entertaining choices about your taste and about what you like, uh, then when you get a brand message that is in the same format, in a similar format, it's, it's clearly marked, you know, as a brand message. You understand that it's not part of the show. It looks a bit different, but the mechanics are similar. Um, so, you know, the click-through rates we see on these units uh, are just like insane. It's nothing that even compares to, to click-through rates you see on, you know, uh, what we call linear video because you know you can see a linear video mm -hmm. and you have a mid-roll with a call to action or an end of video uh, um, you know uh, ad with a call to action and usually those those conversion rates on these types of units are you know like one percent would be considered like high yeah um and and we see like we get like to 25 percent in these areas which is like magnitudes it's just a different ball game uh, because users are engaged and um, it's just much easier if you do the right creative to actually follow up with the user because it's not like an ad that was kind of, you know, uh, quote unquote, kind of stuffed down their throat. Uh, it feels part of the entertain entertainment and choice experience. Uh, you know, these ad placements, are they designed in really almost as part of the storyline or part of the storyline? Or is it still the concept of kind of a pre-roll, mid-roll, you know, post-roll kind of a placement? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, to be to be honest, like, we don't know yet. Like, we're really experimenting still, and we're starting to see... We're starting now to get much more data on the table and see what works better um, and double down on those things. But, but we still, like, try many, many different things and many different ad products and ad units. Um, so sometimes they're much more... Sometimes they're actually part of the show. For example... Um, we did a collaboration with BuzzFeed on Tasty. I don't know if you know the Tasty brand, um, like the, the food brand. Um, so we made interactive Tasty, um, which is, you know, kind of the same top shot uh, food stuff, very quickly edited, uh, very beautiful. 
but with Echo, it all becomes interactive and you can choose what type of uh, ingredients you want to put into your uh, recipes and stuff like that. The actual products that you see that you choose from are, are brands. And from, a, from an ad unit perspective, the brand behind those products only paid when people actually chose their brand. Um, so, it's, so it's very engagement driven versus impressions and stuff like that. That's really interesting. So you're creating all this branded content and, uh, and some of it is, is creative content and then there's the brand uh, that, that, that comes in. How is uh, this original content that you're creating, how is it distributed? Is it from your own service or through uh, partners? We're trying to kind of take from the, you know, the strategy of YouTube in its early days. You know, when YouTube uh, was created, as you remember, like they, they didn't try to be a destination. They were all about, you know, to watch YouTube, you can watch it anywhere. Just take this like small iframe, put it in your blog, put it in your website, uh, embed it in your app. Um, it was a very distributed model. The distribution strategies, yes, we have our own service. We have our website, our app. Uh, it's free. Everyone can just come in and see everything and enjoy the content. Uh, but we're not trying to necessarily only build and only drive people to our own destination. Uh, Tasty, for example, which we did with BuzzFeed, the majority of traffic there uh, was on BuzzFeed. They embedded our player um, and drove traffic there. Um, so it's really like, you know, um, integrating it to as many places as possible. Um, and on some places it does require, you know, business development and working with those uh, partners to, to embed our player. Uh, but we make it very simple. That's part of our product is kind of making embedding our player very, very simple. And you announced, uh, I, th- I think about a year and a half ago now, a very serious joint venture. In fact, I think even investment uh, from Walmart. So where does Walmart and Voodoo fit into the mix? Again, if we talk a little bit about the, the strategy that we that we shifted towards where we are focusing on premium content, uh, when we started to shift towards that uh, um, that strategy, the way we executed on it was starting these content funds. We were partnering with the companies uh, at the beginning, more like you know, kind of Sony and MGM, um, you know, studios. Uh, and instead of taking money uh, as investment for the company, uh, we were building this content fund. So basically, they would contribute uh, whatever the amount. Let's say I don't know, like two million dollars. Um, for a content fund, then we would take this money, we would go to creators, uh, train them on our platform, uh, give the money to create content for us. Uh, then we would monetize this content, distribute and monetize this content, and um, the content partner uh, which created the content fund with us uh, would share revenue um, from that content that they funded. Um, so that was kind of the, the model we started to, uh, we started to establish. Um, and uh, kind of almost accidentally, uh, Yoni got a chance to meet with the Walmart CEO. Um, so, you know, Yoni went, uh, went and met with, uh, with Doug and uh, told him the story of Echo and uh, talked about our mission and what we're trying to accomplish um, and our, our kind of more short to midterm strategy. You know, the, the time we live in now, uh, like what we call peak TV, is as far as like just linear uh, content production is insane. Like in 2019, I think the, the stat I saw was like 
$121 billion were invested in original programming. Um, so I think what Walmart saw in us was this opportunity uh, instead of like going and uh, being a shark in that red ocean uh, was investing, like coming completely out of left field and investing in a completely different approach to video and video content and how it can be connected to commerce. Um, and um, and yes, I think that set their... Again, we didn't know Walmart before that well, but they're an amazing partner. Uh, they give, they understand they have a creative firepower with us and they want to use this creative firepower instead of trying to tame it. Um, and they're really open to experimentation and they're super innovative. And uh, it's really like a pleasure because uh, the deal that was structured, uh, and again, it's the, the, there's a small component which was in, an investment in the company, but the majority of that, the vast majority of this money uh, was a content fund, um, money that goes to making uh, eco content, basically. Um, so the whole deal was structured in a way that really uh, understands both sides and tries to build eco as a business that doesn't rely on Walmart. Uh, um, and re relies on like booking, you know, third-party advertiser and brands. Um, so yeah, it's like it's been a wild ride, and it it got uh, a lot of fuel to to our growth. Is Voodoo distributing Echo content on some platforms? Yes, like uh, Voodoo integrated our uh, few of our shows, um, and we're talks uh, on some of their platforms. Not all. Uh, we can talk a little bit about uh, how Echo. Uh, the different platforms that Echo supports, uh, if you want. I, I want to touch a minute on this uh, very innovative business model that you call a content fund. I find this uh, really fascinating because the problem when you create a new medium is that you have this, always you have this chicken and egg problem. I mean, it could be very successful and maybe people will like it, um, and then you can make a lot of money, but this will only happen if you have good content and if you have a lot of content. I guess it's it's too soon to say, right? I, I I believe and hope that we are making the right bet on this. Um, obviously, the the end game is not what we're doing now. This is just uh, a big strategic step towards uh, a much bigger, scalable future. Um, but at least we're kind of eliminating the issue of how we get uh, creators to adopt the platform in the short term. So tell us about the different platforms. Uh, are there differences, you know, between uh, maybe how the uh, how the content works or what's available in a browser compared to a connected television, etc. Today, like our main product and our like the, the way we're designing our product is uh, mobile first and like borderline mobile only uh, more than 90% of our traffic uh, on all of content whether on echo or on the, uh, distribution partners uh, is mobile um, so really that's our first and foremost priority is to make sure that you know when you click on a link that has a website that embeds an echo video in it on your mobile phone you get to see it right now our, our player is you know, it's an HTML5 player. It's like JavaScript. All, all of it is static assets delivered from CDNs. So what we call kind of the stitching of this nonlinear video stream all happens on the client side. Um, so the way the player works, kind of to abstract it a little bit, uh, we have the player itself and we have uh, kind of bundles of plugins that sit on top of the player. So the player itself is basically responsible for streaming a nonlinear video stream uh, of both audio and video. Uh, and we have multiple different engines, player engines that support this for different platforms. So, 
uh, we kind of look into what uh, what the platform and the browser you're on support from a feature set perspective, uh, and we match the right engine uh, to deliver the video for you on that platform. And uh, we use all kinds of standards like uh, MSE, Web Audio for Audio. Um, basically, the video and audio streams are are handled separately uh, from uh, from the player perspective. Um, HTML5 video elements, obviously, web workers, canvas, like all kinds of different standards that uh, we, in most cases, take to the to the extreme um, so that our player can work and deliver a seamless experience. Uh, we have our own kind of proprietary video container. Basically, when you upload the video, you render the piece of video for one of the branches of your Echo show, you upload it to Echo Studio, uh, we encode it. Uh, and then wrap the segments that we create out of it for different representations, for different like adaptive bitrate features, all kinds of these things, uh, and wrap it in a container that our player parses so that it can deliver this seamless uh, stream that connects all of these segments back to back in real time with very, very low latency. On top of the player, we have a whole bunch of plugins that when you watch an Echo show, everything but the audio and video stream that you see is a plugin. When you click uh, pause on our player, that pause button is part of a plugin. When you see subtitles, that's a subtitles plugin. When you make a choice clicking a button, there's a UI plugin that enables you to display buttons on top of the player. There's an interaction plugin that takes care of the interaction layers. Um, so everything kind of is this uh, uh, assortment of many, many, many uh, different plugins that sit on top of our player. Interesting. And so from a creator perspective, how much does the creator after they, you know, like you say, after they've created the video for a particular, um, uh, you know, scene or, or, or for, how much do they have to think about um, these different player uh, environments or these different architectures uh, or do they, does, is this an automatic thing? Is there anything that a creator has to think about? We try to make, you know, the heavy lifting of our encoding service of, uh, servers and the player in runtime be completely transparent. Uh, there are kind of environmental things that, uh, that affect the creative that the creators need to worry about. For example, uh, as you guys know, uh, you know, once upon a time, browsers didn't let you autoplay and you had to click to start a video stream. Uh, that gradually gradually shifted and, and Chrome started to adopt this muted autoplay uh, uh, standard across both mobile and desktop. And, and I think everyone is kind of following. And now video can autoplay almost on every browser, but it, it usually starts muted. Um, so this is something that is like a creative consideration. So we, we, uh, we enable creators to like basically read all of these the environmental parameters, like, you know, can you autoplay? Can you autoplay with audio or without audio? And then, then for example, they can start their video uh, from different, what we call entry points. They can have different entry points that, you know, onboarding uh, for a muted environment would look different than, auto, uh, than onboarding for non-muted environment. Um, so we, we, again, we try to mask the, the backend and the, the complexities of actually delivering that, that and, uh, from the creators, but we expose only the things that can affect their creative. And so this, uh, the, the actual streaming architecture, um, this is all your network um, that you have built, or what does that look like? But at the end of the day, everything is uh, static assets uh, that are delivered from CDN. So, you know, we, we have uh, AWS infrastructure and uh, 
CloudFront, um, so you know, fully scalable, uh, and it's all mm-hmm. static assets. So um, we didn't need to like create our own streaming servers. It's all mm-hmm. CDNs. And do you have any special challenges when you're streaming it over the internet? For example, if you have a lot of delay or if you have uh, connectivity issues and buffering, how does this affect the interactive uh, videos? Um, yeah, there are tons of challenges. Um, I think first and foremost, I think, uh, is device support, um, which I think actually is more on the hardware side, at least on mobile. It's more on the software side, actually, than the hardware side. Because, um, again, we're taking all of these standards to, to their extreme so older browsers are very challenging. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, we'll talk about TVs in a second because that's a bigger challenge. Then I think uh, just providing just that seamlessness, you know, when you have two videos back to back and you want to stream them super low latency, like, you know, you want to enable someone to make a choice until the last very second and still whatever they choose, they would branch seamlessly to, you know, one of many different uh, potential video outcomes. Just that Seamlessness, both of audio and, and video, um, is not that straightforward. <laughs> um, it's like surprising. It sounds like it sounds kind of silly. You know, you just put them back to back and you play, and it, it works. Uh, but um, it's actually not that simple. Uh, that's one challenge that we have uh, a lot of technology and patents around. Um, and another challenge, to your point, to all is uh, is buffering. So, if you look at like I don't know, like a three-minute uh, YouTube video. Uh, for a three-minute YouTube video, you need to stream and buffer three minutes of video. Uh, you might have adaptive bitrate, so you 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 might kind of stream uh, potential representations. Also, most of these players only start to stream the different representations after the user uh, elects to watch a different quality. Uh, what is a unique challenge for Echo is that for a three-minute video, you might have like you know anywhere between like. Uh, uh, between six and sixty minutes of video uh, of potential uh, branches that you need to load, and it's all this like graph tra- structure of how these things are connected, and choices affect which part of the graph you might kind of uh, travel on. So uh, we have a lot of like um, algorithms w- uh, that are optimize what part of the graph we're uh, we're buffering and kind of uh, probability and based on uh, on statistics and stuff like that. Um, cause that's, that's kind of a unique challenge cause you want to make sure that you have ready, um, uh, you don't want people to get into buffering uh, when they make a choice cause you don't have that branch available. So let's, let's do this now. If you want, uh, to hear Tal continue to talk about technology, press one. If you want him to talk about business models, press two for the future, press three. I think you need to do it more like the more like the choose your own adventure books. It's like scrub to minute fifty uh, six or scrub to minute forty eight. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you would do it in a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what you're talking about on one hand, you could say, well, it's really simple. There's basically an endpoint from the current, you know, the current stream, and then it's either going to play, you know, this direction, you know, this video or that video. Can you can you share some more detail about what how that works? You mentioned some patents and IP. There are all kinds of ways of how how we uh, how we empower these like basically creative use cases from a uh, from the player side. So one of them is is like you mentioned, it's uh, it's different. It's kind of different streams that are stitched in runtime back to back seamlessly uh, with very low latency. Uh, until like you know a few milliseconds before the switch actually happens, the users can still make a choice, um, and 
that's one mechanism uh, which uh, has its own challenges. Another mechanism which empowers features like channel switching and real-time switching. Uh, these are uh, features that we uh, have on our platform where um, if you if you don't think about like you know like a dialogue choice or like like go left go right, uh, we also have uh, features for channel switching. So you have multiple video channels running in parallel, uh, and you can switch uh, between them uh, with very. So we have two features there. One is uh, what we call channel switching, uh, which enables you to to switch between an unlimited number of channels. Uh, there is a little bit of latency there. Uh, but but it's an unlimited number of channels, uh, and we have uh, real-time switching, which is uh, limited to eight channels. But that is immediate. Like the the millisecond that you click the button, you immediately see uh, one of eight different channels. Um, so that's uh, another kind of uh, um, mechanism of how we enable interactivity and interactive uh, features. Uh, another one is uh, what we call the canvas, uh, which is one of the plugins of our player. Um, so you basically can Look at a video frame as, let's say, your color palette, and then you can use colors or segments from the video to create a completely different frame. You want to do like a, uh, an interaction that clicking on a button will expose a window that shows a different video in it. Um, you can do that using Video Canvas. Um, so, so these are all different mechanisms that kind of use the underlying video that our player is is buffering to display different interactive mechanics to the user, and uh, obviously in the hands of the creator for creative use cases. So right now, like I mentioned, our player is you know HTML, JavaScript um, works on basically every environment that uh, can render. JavaScript and HTML um, that has a browser, whether it's like a transparent browser, like a web view or an iframe or anything like that. When you go into like the smart TVs uh, uh, market, then it becomes a big challenge for us uh, that right now from a business perspective, we decided not to focus. We're very focused on mobile, as I mentioned. Because um, when you look at the TV landscape, uh, everyone, at least today, and I don't know, like uh, maybe it's starting to change. I'm not enough like in that industry uh, right now uh, but it's very fragmented and everyone's trying to kind of create their own standards um, so there isn't consistency there isn't like the equivalent of you know HTML for uh, for smart TVs you know Apple are doing their own thing with like uh, I don't know HLS and stuff like that and Roku have their uh, uh, forgot what the name of the uh, they're, they have like their own something script uh, that you need to write code in, uh, and you can't go to like the, the byte array level of video to ma to manipulate the video stream in the way that we need to do. Um, and each one of those devices uh, introduces their own challenges, and for us, uh, it basically means to support them, we need to start porting our player, uh, and it's you know it's definitely doable, but it's a heavy lift. Um, and I think one of the additional challenges is that's from a, you know, when you look at distribution partners, like on the business side, then usually it's kind of a, not all or nothing, but like most or nothing. Usually, like, let's say, I don't know, we ported our player to, to Roku successfully and we can now have like a, a Echo videos play on Roku devices. That would usually not be enough for distribution partners um, because it's still 
you know, just a, a segment of uh, connected TVs and they would want their players, th- they would want their videos to run on their Roku channel and, or, and on their uh, uh, Apple TV channel and on like Samsung TVs and stuff like that. So, and each one of them is a different platform with a different stack. So right now uh, we do have, uh, have it in our roadmap uh, to start digging into those uh, later this year, but right now we haven't yet kind of other than research haven't started like actual uh, development in uh, porting our player to these different uh, platforms. I think it makes sense. The The mobile device market and, and mobile video consumption is, is exploding and it's um, you know, it just seems to me um, it's, it's a natural format for someone to both kind of combine that, that lean back with the lean forward, you know, where you're kind of interacting, but yet you're also, you know, you're watching. Uh, I, I, I think it makes sense. And I certainly understand the technical, um, you know, the, the, the technical challenges there. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of what we, we decided to focus on mobile. You know, it's shorter attention spans, shorter pieces of content. People are used to interacting with their devices anyway. Uh, it's something that's much less natural sitting, you know, leaning back uh, at the end of the day in front of your TV. Um, so again, that was part of the reasons we decided to focus on mobile um, in the short term. What is your vision? you know, for the future of interactive TV, um, where does it fit, you know, with some of these other experiences, AR, VR, just as an example? Basically, interactivity is something that is in everything we do in our digital lives, right? Like everything but video today, Uh, everything, like our social presence, our games, uh, the way we consume information, you know, you go to Wikipedia and you go to this like rabbit hole of hyperlinks and like it's all interactive and personalized and and that's what we're growing into now. Uh, and everything is like that but video, um, which is very, very strange for us, uh, which is what we're, uh, we're trying to change, right? And when you look at video as almost like this new, you know, kind of operating system of that can have many, 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 many different applications built on top of that. These applications, you know, uh, premium TV is one of these applications, but a completely different way to shop is a different application. User-generated content is a different application. Education can be completely rethought with that. Like, so there are so, so many things that can uh, be utilized. And I'm, and I think we're seeing the early signs of it happening. And, you know, you see, big players starting to go into this, like, you know, YouTube and Netflix and people like Walmart going into it from the commerce side, you start to see advertisers care about it much more and spend much more on these things. Um, and, and now you start to see it starting to affect consumers as well. So I think, you know, this kind of, uh, it's a cycle that kind of fits itself, uh, and will just grow and grow and more curiosity will happen. More creativity will happen. More business models will emerge. Um, and you know, for us, what we aim to be is, uh, at the end of the day, kind of the pipes of interactivity, uh, for whatever application is built on top of that. Um, so right now we're very focused on one application, uh, but we are starting to see, to, you know, kind of seed the seeds of, uh, of bigger platform deals and other applications as well. Right. It's, it's amazing, amazing technology and amazing story. And, and you keep telling these, uh, uh, stories uh, in a very uh, unique way um, and and uh, really shared a lot of interesting insights and food for thought for the future of entertainment with all of our listeners 
and uh, we'd like to uh, thank you for that. Thank you for being on the Video Insiders. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H264 transcoding every month. 